Hey guys, and welcome to the Effective Conversation podcast. My name is Yael, and today I'm talking with Maimon. He's only 20 years old and he's determined to make a difference. He volunteers as an organizer in three different projects, the Divestment Project, the Multiracial Coalition, and the College Climate Coalition. We are talking about the role of engineering in the new world we aspire to build, the divestment from fossil fuels in university, and the power of knowledge and limitation of facts. We talk about complicated issues, and I hope you enjoy listening. How many hours can you invest in that day? It, it, you know, it wanes and comes and goes. Um, recently, because of the March 19th Day of Action and now Earth Day, And we also held a protest at my university. I've been spending maybe like, say, 10 hours a week. But usually this changes depending. It's just a lot of Zoom calls, organizing, creating content, stuff like that. It, it, it waxes and wanes, though. Can you expand more about what is organizing? What are you organizing? And what is the skill you need to have? 100%. So I'll take you to March 19th Day of Action protest at... Uh, McMaster. I was one of a lot, like 20, 30 people who were organizing that event. It was a action among 13 sustainability organizers, organizations at McMaster that all came together to plan one major protest. And the major ask was for divestment. I think the best skills for those type of work is, you know, able to be a team player. Always remember, this is not about you. It's about the movement at large. It's about everyone, right? And so keeping yourself checked in that way, working well with others, Um, really being passionate about these topics, really like striving for the change you want to see. I've been doing this for many, many years. Uh, since I was a little kid, I've always cared about the environment. Um, and so, you know, I, a lot of skills come with that. It's just passion, I feel like. You don't need any sort of like super skills like, oh, I'm a great talker. I'm a great um, artist. I don't think you need that. I think just having the right intentions is enough. And with the right intentions, the 13 sustainability groups at McMaster We're able to get around, um, I think, nearly 200 students out to this protest during an online. It's an online event. First of all, don't do not do a real life protest at the moment. Uh, uh, it was an online event um, and it was in the middle of midterm season. And we still got like 200 people out. It was re really impressed by that. And we had uh, we pushed our major ass to university this way. And how much conversation is part of of bringing people and how much like it's advertising Eventually, how do you approach people and who will be the people that you will approach to them to say that, hey, there's right. a strike, come on? So um, there's one great thing about these environmental movements is we all kind of know each other. We're all kind of always like, you know, talking with each other, especially after the March 19th day of action. We just have groups that we're, I would say we're friends and we would be able to work together easier that way. But the conversations part is true. Because one thing we did is we got every single major faculty organization, student or undergraduate student organization, to endorse our movement. Um, so they all wrote us a letter of endorsement. And these are folks who are usually outside the environmental movement. Of course, you know, within the ranks, they'll have environmental people in it. But usually they're outside the environmental movement. And so, yes, having that, you know, strong conversation with them, you know, telling them what you really believe, showing them the facts, the logistics, really showing that you care about this issue and talking to them. One thing I've always found in life is people usually come to the right opinions if you give them an information. I think a lot of sort of the, um, you know, uh, not all, uh, but a good portion of it, like say 30 to 40 percent of bigotry is misinformed, misinformed opinions. Uh, and like if you really just talk to them and try to bridge those gaps, you're not going to get everyone, but you might get a few. 
And now this is not related. So let me go back to the idea I was really talking about is the idea that if you give people the right information, they'll come to the right conclusions because, you know, generally people are good people. And so all we did was show them the facts, you know, our university invests this much money into fossil fuels. This is its impact. This is how the university can control it. And when you explain that to people and they are good faith actors, they'll come back and they'll agree with you usually. And, and you say people, you mean the students that are studying yes, stu- in the university? Yes, students. students. Um, But then you also mentioned the, the, the faculty uh, members also, and they're more, they're, will, will be the, the faculty member will be the people that also invest in festivals themselves, like the people that have, um, you know, their own investments? Right. Um, I can't comment on personal investments because, of course, we yeah. just don't know. Um, But is it different for universe... you to speak with a student that is your age and then speak with faculty members that I guess may be 20 years older than you? Honestly, this might be unique to McMaster, um, but the divestment project at McMaster was started by the faculty to begin with. It was Matt Green Invest, and they had like, say, 75 professors who signed on to a letter asking university to divest mm-hmm. from all faculties, from all different things. And so personally, I've never really had that sort of issue. Uh, talking with faculty members usually these are faculty of science or social humanities or uh, business and there there's just like facts right false for business fossil fuel is bad uh, fossil fuels are a stranded asset bad investment science climate change is bad humanities climate change is bad and it's really intersectional to all the issues they care about right um, and there's other faculties of course like medicine and stuff it, it, you go through that and you'll see that you know you're always able to relay it back to them um, I personally just never felt that you They were um, uh, super antagonistic. Now, of course, maybe there are people who never replied or mm-hmm. uh, just didn't want to engage with us. I can't comment on right. them. Maybe they do agree with us, but for other reasons, they can't really comment on the moment. You never know. So it's complicated. But the ones who have engaged with us, I feel like we've had a good rapport with. Okay. And you're saying, uh, I, I like the way, how you say it, and it's not something that I'm familiar with so much. Uh, when you give the right information, people will get to the right conclusion. What is the right information people need to hear? Because information, right. wait uh, a minute, <laughs> it's interesting because, yeah, because this, this, is the, um, uh, this is one of the struggles about climate, right? Uh, information is out there. Everybody knows, but not, not enough people doing the change and not enough uh, organization is changing, uh, cooperation is changing because it's not just about information. So what is in your information that you were, were sharing that you think made a difference? Right. Um, so organizations and companies are different from students, of course. They have other... Usually students are not going to have those sort of, you know, like uh, external sort of pressures on them to be more pro-fossil fuels because, you know, they're students. Uh, uh, the right information that I would present to people are like um, along the lines of, okay, this is how much money our university invests in fossil fuels. But at the same time, our university teaches us that climate change is bad and it's doing a lot of damage to the world. And it's related to all these things like labor, science, medicine, and how they teach us this. This is such a huge part of our education. But at the same time, they invest like, say, I think the last latest number is 22 million or something along those lines. Um, so th- that's kind of, you know, hypocritical in a sense. Like, you know, you can't really just say, teach us like, oh, climate change is bad. And then invest in fossil fuel companies. Um, the other things I t- teach them is like, okay, so people say, okay, but that's just how our society is. We, there's no other options. And I just tell them, 
There's so many other options. Universities all over the world are divesting from fossil fuels. Smaller than us, bigger than us. For example, Rutgers, the State College of New Jersey, divested from fossil fuels. They are a university that's bigger than us. Uh, but there's also universities that are smaller than McMaster that do divest. Mm-hmm. And so you can really kind of show them, yeah, you know, they, the people who had power always painted like, you know, it's a necessary evil. But you can really tell them, show them that it's not really a necessary evil. Um, moreover, we just tell them from the facts are facts. Uh, fossil fuels are a stranded asset. They're not a good investment. Say it again. Uh, uh, what, those, what is it asset? A stranded? A stranded. A stranded. A stranded asset. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those listening, stranded assets are basically assets that they have a day of date of expiry. We already know at a certain point, the extraction of fossil fuels will be way too expensive for there to be any profit. There's already basically a date in the future that this is going to happen because it's a finite resource. And then if you just show that to people and like, hey, isn't this similar to what happened with like, you know, a lot of other financial crises? Our society are based off of one specific thing that immediately crashes, like the housing bubble, and then the society collapses, basically. Uh, this is just one word we can see in the future. Unlike the housing bubble, we can see that. We can literally see the fossil fuel one about their curve. Yeah. So we should divest and go invest in new things and make sure there's new jobs there. Then we also tell them, hey, environmental um, industries... They're growing exponentially large. There's so much money to be made here. Our university teaches us all this environmental information. You're now an, a person who's cl- uh, a climate to work in environmental um, jobs, like, you know, whether it's water treatment or concrete. I'm talking from an engineering perspective, of course. There's other perspectives. You shouldn't, don't you want them investing in your future job that you're going to have to work? You're probably not going to work at ExxonMobil or BP. Uh, so, you know, you just have that conversation. You show them all this information. And it's a long speech that has so many different parts. I haven't even start, uh, touched upon, like, you know, social justice and stuff like that. Like, the fossil fuel companies invest in, like, usually conservative sort of um, MPs or um, um, congressmen. Those people don't have the best record on LGBTQ plus rights. They don't have the best record on immigration rights. So if, you in, if they're investing in those congressmen, even if it's not solely for those sort of social reasons, they're still funding their election campaigns. Yeah. So, you know, you can really talk to people and really show them that this isn't the way the future has to go. Yeah, one, one thing I, I remember reading about the investment uh, um, with, the, with the challenges that they don't have a, a better option to know, uh, right, there's different kind of investment that we do with different kind of rates. So can you say what you offer them in exchange? What is green possibilities to... Because eventually the university yeah. wants to put her money, their money, and see more of more of this money, right? So this is why they invest in what the, until now was profitable. No, I I totally understand. I agree with you. Yes, uh, these uh, universities, they're so they're not they're not doing it for all these reasons. They're sorry, my phone. They're so. It's okay. Let me just let me just mute this before because I always get notifications. Their sole uh, reasoning is okay. We want to make more income. That's their job. Uh, first of all, uh, it's no, people are now coming to the conclusion that investing in fossil fuels are no longer a fiduciary duty. There are other investments that are better. Um, so one example of this would be um, new technologies. There's environmental technologies, and there's new companies, and they have their own host of problems, of course. But the host of problems they have are much are bad and we have to deal with them, but they're not at the sort of level of we're going to destroy the planet in the next 50 years, tech bad. Um, so, you know, it's 
it this comes back to a question on whether or not investment in general is ethical. I mean, we're not going to be able to convince the university to, to completely divest all their investments. I don't know if that's even possible. Ho- maybe in a few years. But we can give them alternative companies that are not necessarily good because these companies are not good and I won't say they're good, uh, but are better than the sort of, you know, destroy the planet in 50 years type bad. Um, yeah, in, in the end, it is a moral compromise. And I understand that. Uh, my main concern is making sure that we have the next few hundred years, 2100, 2200, 2300, to fight over these type of problems, discuss whether or not investment as a system is good. But if we don't divest from fossil fuels, if these companies don't disappear and our economy doesn't transition to a green economy, we won't be able to have that conversation. Those companies need to disappear or they need to change and adjust? I would say that... Oh, of... So you, you'll see nowadays that these companies like BP and stuff, they're more becoming energy companies rather than fossil fuel companies, and they're trying to diversify. If that's what needs for them to stop producing fossil fuels, and they promise to do 100% no more fossil Can fuels. Can you say more about that? Energy companies will usually be like, okay, they're now going to invest in things like hydroelectric, nuclear, stuff like that. Because they also see that fossil fuels are a standard asset. They recognize that they're not going to be able to make a profit over this in the next 50 years. So over the next 50 years, they have internal plans, most likely, to try to slowly shift away from fossil fuels. If that's what it takes for them to completely stop the production of fossil fuels, I don't like these companies, but it's still a way to get rid of fossil fuels. I personally would hope that these companies would disappear and new companies would take their place or new institutions would take their place. I don't know which one is the most likely to occur, though. Right. And those, those, um, I'm going back to the conversation when you say I'm sharing them this information and, and I'm explaining them, hey, this university, uh, we, it teaches about climate, but what we actually do, we invest in the opposite thing, so it, we kind of contradict that. Those conversations happen with the faculty or it's happened already in the board of the, of the divestment people? So, yeah, this, this conversation has happened at every single level. So um, MSU, or the major board, uh, student representative body, uh, has endorsed divestment. Um, this has also occurred with the board of governors and the faculties for through Mac Green Invest, which is the faculty, um, our sister organization run by faculty. Um, and we hope that the students will soon be able to go to board of governor meetings, have these right. conversations, really uh, push on these sort of ideas with the board governors ourselves, because the university in the end is only has to represent the students will we are the ones paying the interest study year we are the for basis of the university it's not the faculty it's not the board of governors it's the students so they should represent us in a way I'm, I'm wondering when when you have those this conversation you know there is a moment when the other person when you talk to them they say oh wow I didn't I didn't consider that or I didn't thought about that or something that is shifting like the energy is being shifted from he knows like they, they know better and they're like oh no we actually open to listen w- when is this moment what do you say or what's happening in you know there is like it's kind of a magic in a conversation right like it's you can do give and take like the information exchange but then there is this moment that is like like this magic that something is shifted can you say right so there is that magic you're correct um, this, so a lot of students, they're basically 90, 90% there when I get to them. 
they already, you know, support um, action against climate change and stuff like that. They just don't know what the action is. Or even if they do know, they don't know how possible it is. And then they meet our group and they see, okay, this is a viable strategy to actually divest the university. So those people are easy. But let's talk about the more defensive people, the people who might have career prospects in fossil fuels or defense mm-hmm. or something along those lines, right? Um, when I have these conversations with them, at first, they're very unlikely to agree with me. And it's the ability to be calm and collected and sort of just see like, hey, okay, you know what? This person has been a part of a system that has made them think that this is the only way. It's not necessarily their fault. And you just slowly build off that. You slowly talk to them. You talk to them over multiple times. And, you know, you let them argue with you. You let them bring their own points, let them do their own research. And then you just have to be, a bit like me, able to answer their questions and really show them, like, hey, we do have an answer for this. So you're not going to got me there. You're not going to have a gotcha there. Um, this movement is so big that, like, if there was a gotcha, this movement wouldn't exist. Um, and so you just talk to them. And after a while, once all their questions are exhausted and they have no idea, then this is where the decision they can make. This is where it kind of defines the person themselves rather than me. This is where nothing I can do will change it. Are they open to listening and actually changing their opinions? Or are they an individual who's going to stay in their little bubble and not really change regardless of what I say? That type of person, you know, if they make the latter decision of not listening to what I say and not, there's nothing you can do there. Um, That's a person who's fundamentally just not that not going to listen to you. Whereas the other person who actually is a good faith actor and will listen and change, they're going to have that moment of like uh, pause and realize, okay, I think I might agree with my moon as crazy as he might sound at the beginning. He really does bring up good points and he really does show me that this is a possible way in the future. And I want to be a part of that future. And when this is very interesting. So when they understand or agree with you, they want to be part of this too. Yeah. Historically, I found that, you know, like once they realize that, you know, that there is an alternative, that there's not not like a high in the sky, but a really grounded alternative to all of this, to this system that we live in. Um, They're more likely to join us and try to fight for these things because the divestment movement isn't asking for something crazy. We have the technology to replace fossil fuels or we have an energy. We have technology to replace as an energy system. Right. We have the ability to reshape, repurpose jobs. We have the ability to um, build new infrastructure and get more jobs. We have all these options. We have policy, like, not even me, just like uh, policy centers all over the world writing policy on how to remove from fossil fuels that all work in different capacities. And I would have to read into each individual one to tell you whether I agree or not. Um, they believe, Once they understand that, once they understand that the alternative exists, people are more likely to want to fight for that alternative, the better alternative, the more just alternative. I do hold to the idea that fundamentally most people are good and when you do give them the information when you do really show them that there is an alternative they will want to fight for the better alternative and you're an engineer too right so this Mm -hmm. uh you said material engineering but is that um something that you learn and eventually you should work in the in oil and gas industry or where would would you work or in which other field of engineering do you have in university that are still supporting uh, the system, the old system. Right. So all level, all forms of engineering supports the system. Um, engineering is so multidisciplinary that usually people think, okay, petro is chemical engineering. 
is not the case anymore. Materials engineers can work in a mechanical, electrical, computer, and different parts of the systems, right? Um, and it, it is truly something I will, I will always critique about the engineering that we support this type of industry. Personally, I am very lucky uh, that I've been able to get involved. And I'm very honored that people believe in me to help organize these events and stuff. So I have alternative forms of education, uh, career paths, whether it's in academia, working on engineering ethics is one thing I could do, or whether it's me taking my bachelor's degree in engineering and then going into an MPP, so Master of Public Policy, and then law school, and really trying to change engineering from that perspective. I hope to be, I need the engineering bachelors to like be just taken seriously in mm -hmm. these conversations when I'm trying so to So you understand that and you can uh, work with them in their language. No, no, yeah. yeah. 100%. And I understand that a lot of the faculty of engineering all across the world do support not only just fossil fuels, but defense, um, other horrible institutions. And I would hope we change. The code of the engineer is to keep the public's best interest in mind. And that's what the one of the that's a part of the code that we take as engineers. And I cannot say that keeping the public's best interest in mind is working with Petro Canada. Um, of course, that's my opinion. Any lawyers listening, you can't catch me that easily. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so the way we change engineering is that these new green jobs are going to need engineers. They're going to need systems engineers. They're going to need people who build up new uh, supply chains. Maimon, when you learn the engineering, do you learn about the green engineering too? Yes, they do give us a quite a bit of education on that. And my faculty, they're, so steel is actually a lot really bad for the environment as well, um, the production of steel because it uses fossil fuels and like steel's everywhere. This house I'm living in, my laptop, everything's made from steel, right? Um, uh, but the faculty that I go to is actually very good um, in a sense because they do invest a lot of time into making steel not use fossil fuels. Uh, that's a, something I'm lucky to be a part of. It's not the right. case everywhere else. McMaster, McMaster is sometimes just special in certain things and like you get to say, okay, this is lucky. Um, uh, yeah, they do teach us green steel because like that's a part of their own research. They'll teach us about decarbonization. Um, one of the faculty members, literally her entire research is just decarbonization of steel, stuff like that. Um, they, they, they are that existence, but that's not that. those are individual changes in the end. Uh, you're teaching maybe, what, 50 engineering kids and materials engineers that carbonization of steel is bad. There's thousands of us out there, right? And then if you take engineering in this, as a whole, there's millions of us. So what, how do we fundamentally change the culture of engineering that this green ideology is embedded in the public interest of the people? That's what I want to see engineering change to be like. Right. So they, there is some um, moral and idea of we're doing it to do good. But uh, as far as I know about engineering, you learn like there's so much uh, physics and you like the thing that you learn uh, and you want to see things working. It's m more of a science based, um, not so much from how to support the public. It's more of uh, politicians or um, different kind of fields of supporting public engineering and, and, and computer science. And this is like, I want to see this working. And if it's working, it's good. Right. You're correct. And historically, that's been the view of engineers. I just want to solve the problem. The problem can be like, how do I make the chemical engineering company that produces fossil fuels more money? That could be the problem there. And your only objective is to solve that problem with the constraints you get. I think that engineers can do too much damage if that's, that's the only true. way we're thinking. Yeah. I think we need, to, we need to have a fundamental shift in our way of thinking as engineers to be more sustainably minded. 
because in the end we are the people who design these big scale operations that really do contribute to these fossil fuel yeah. problems we can no longer be of the mindset that just because our uh, just because it makes the company more money that this is the way we're going to solve it yeah I agree with you I agree with you and is it is it and your idea fair, or is it something happening now in more university that people understand that is it a movement or this is exactly what you, you said that you're working on this justice and- right no it's this is just not me this is professors at McMaster this is the we have an entire uh, uh, stream of engineering called engineering and society uh, mm-hmm. I'm not a part of the stream um, but they do deal with their societal issues this is a change and that we need to see in engineering as a whole and like you know I, I would say that some companies are becoming more minded in that way I personally don't know if I agree in the ways they're doing it but at least there is that conversation now which before there were Excuse me. All, there was yeah. no conversation at all, and what? And once you get the conversation going, that's where you really push and try to change things. Yeah. Did you have a conversation with a friend that is also uh, study engineering, and he said, uh, "But you're doing something against our own uh, future in a way that I'm learning now engineering, and I want to work in the oil and gas industry, and you're sabotaging my future, something like that." Sadly, no. I, I would I would hope people would come and try to bring that up with me. Um, if you are a person who's trained to be in Petro, you have the ability to work in any type of chemical industry. industry. Uh, now, we can have a conversation whether or not those industries are good or bad. Uh, but Petro is really the most destructive. Um, the fossil fuel companies are really the most destructive. Petro is, so sorry for my would, ignorance, Petro is the company or Petro is the type of... It's a type of type of company it's a petroleum okay, engine petroleum producing mm-hmm. um, so fossil fuel companies if you have the ability to work in those companies you have the ability to work other places and I understand you know like okay you might think that okay I'll make so much more money working in these industries I, I, and then that's where my sort of um, my sort of uh, ability to talk to that type of person ends because I personally do not believe in making money over the suffering of other people that's why I'm looking at other career paths for myself that don't involve me working in like the steel industry or something along those lines uh, involves me working in um, education or something a little less destructive um, I do believe that you know engineers should be uh, engineers are should be taught to think differently and it's kind of a shame that we aren't um, uh, even our, our professors can only tell us so much and tell us about the social justice and stuff but the professors are more akin to me than the regular student they've already went through these experiences and stuff like that to understand this problem at, at some point we have to expect the student to accept that to you know put aside their own personal interests for the yeah. society as a whole and uh, you know at times that is tough uh, with certain people um, and that's where that's again goes back to my ideas like there's two type of people people who be open and willing to change and then people who are just you can't do anything and And at that point those conversations stop yeah. so you stop working it stopped working for you when when you hear that they're interested in money in making more money I, I mean there are ways to make a lot of money in the green sustainable field but if they are really uh, if they're really dead set on you know pet uh, fossil fuels and you know that type of stuff like at that point you know it's so frustrating to really push with these ideas with them and Even if you explain to them like oh the fossil fuel companies are not making that much money anymore they're like really bad and stuff like that you can't really convince them at that point at, at that point it just it becomes less of like a convincing thing 
to to the point where they're just not accepting the facts. And what can you do at that point, right? I... Uh, to be fair, to be fair though, I've not actually met a lot of people who work in the petroleum industry at McMaster. I'm sure they exist right. there, but I don't think they'll see the type of person I am and want to engage. Yeah. It's you know it's when we when we want to um, convince someone that this is that something that he's believing in is a uh, problematic and and shameful and you know killing uh, <laughs> destroying our planet. Uh, it's will be difficult for them to listen to that, right? Yeah, Chomsky. There's a very famous quote from Noam Chomsky, where it's like, "When you enter these institutions, there will be so many pressures for you to conform, and when you start conforming a little bit, you're lost, because then you start to get the benefits of conformity. Um, when you conform to like the engineering institutions, like these big companies and stuff, there are benefits: money, housing." like you know healthcare these are some of the best benefits in the world but when you start to conform to them and you start to understand them people are not good with cognitive cognitive dissonance yeah. where they're saying one thing and they actually believe something else on the internal so for example if i go work at a petrol company but i still hold that i think divestment is the future after a while just me working in that fossil fuel company i'll truly really start to believe the idea that oh fossil fuels are the only way that's the only history that's that's this is just it's it's that sort of type of thinking will yeah. start to infect your mind yes. and you're lost. And now, now I don't agree with everything Chomsky says, but that specific quote I truly believe was very insightful. Yeah, dissonance, cognitive dissonance is <clears throat> is very problematic when we do the change, and we want to shift people to say it's I'm working in this field in this area uh, like forestry or oil gas industry and it's problematic. But at the same time I understand that climate is also problematic and dangerous even more maybe for me right so it's kind of how to hold those two in a way contradicting it's not really contradicting but helping people to realize those contradictory lives in them and they don't have to choose mm -hmm. black or white something yes of course yeah. um so i want to ask you this is um i want to dig in a little bit to this uh um when somebody say uh we're here for the money and we can earn more money in this industry or in this job and you stop what happened inside of you what is the frustration you feel can you can you kind of give it some texture <laughs> what is shifting yeah, of inside of um, you so like you were kind of so eager to in the conversation or maybe you you're at this and now something shifted what happens for you right so this is this has mm. only happened once or twice in my entire life and i've, I've right. talked to hundreds of people to be fair, so it might just be a commentary on these two individuals specifically rather than as a whole. Uh, but what you hear that and you think to yourself, okay, so what are you exactly willing to do for money then? Like what 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 moral boundaries do you have? Where where is that sort of moral stop? Right? Like what exactly um, will you be willing to do? Are you willing to uh, design weapons that you know will do extremely extremely harm to the society? Is because if you clearly don't care about fossil fuels, it's not that big of a jump to say you don't care about like just li like specific lives in general. Uh, are what what else are you willing to do? Are you willing to like? I, I start to think those people are dangerous to be around because if they're if they don't care about the society as a whole, why would they care about me specifically or anyone else who works with them? They're the type of person who will think to themselves, okay, if I can 
screw over this person above me, I can take their position. And they keep going climbing that ladder. That is so antithesis to what I believe as a person, where I believe in working together in big groups of people where no one is the leader. We work together as one to really push, uh, push the envelope. That, yeah, of course, it, it is really frustrating when I hear something like that. And I think to myself... At this point, it's not a commentary of my convincing skills or anything. It's a commentary on this person itself. You're too far gone. Like at, at that point, you're at the point where you're like, I will do really I, what I specifically know is harmful and dangerous for money. What am I supposed to do? Yeah. Like, well, I, I can't, I can't, I can't. Have you, think, have you ever asked that way. question? What else would you do for money? Would you, you have? I have. Uh, yeah, yeah, I have. Uh, this one, okay, this has only happened with one person again. And and that person was specifically very bad. He said I would uh, do anything. I would design any, I asked him, would you design like, and uh, for context, he's someone of um, Muslim descent as well and stuff like that. So I asked him a very poignant question that sort of like, would you design a weapon that you know would be used back home in one of our countries? Mm-hmm. And he said yes. And you ask him why? And so at that point, and I asked him why, and he said, because it's not, it's, he, in a sense, he, he has come to the same conclusion as me. It's the institutions, not the individual. But he's using that as a justification for him to act however he likes. Explain. Explain more. Because it's, so he, so he's thinking, okay, it's just a company telling me what to do. So it's not my fault. I'm just doing what the company says. And in a sense, it's similar to what I say. It's not the individuals. Like, it's the same reason I say, like, you know, the individual choice doesn't really work out all the time. We need to have large-scale institutional change. So when I say the large-scale institutional change, I want those companies to change, whereas he's using the same sort of logic and reasoning to say it excuses yeah. any behavior he has, which is just horrible. Like, Because then he's, he's, he understands all my arguments, and he's then able to use that to justify his behavior. Yeah. The companies do bad things. What can we do? Yeah, he kind of take himself out of eventually being hurt from uh, the consequences of, of what he's uh, doing. Yeah. And, and this person, mind you, we haven't spoken in like two years. So maybe hopefully he's changed. He's a, he's in a different department than me. He's an, yeah. uh, he's a different person. I, I, I would hope that God he has changed. I've not, I wouldn't able to This This you. conversation uh, that you're telling is reminding me the conversation about the Nazis in, in the Holocaust. Right, the soldiers just did mm-hmm. what they've been told, and killing uh, millions of Jews and and gays and people of color, of course, right? right? Like exactly. this, that's kind of I've just do mm-hmm. what I've been told. This mindset of being small and little and it's not my fault is very mm-hmm. common, very, very, very common in people. That um, yeah, yeah. Do you want to say more about that? Yeah, so the so it, it is very common. You know, divestment is rooted in the South African apartheid. You know, protests in the eighty uh, before, um, and uh, you 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 see these videos uh, like after the fact they interview people, whether it's like uh, Nazis or they're the uh, people who own slaves and stuff like that. It's like, oh, everyone else did it, therefore it was okay when I did it, and I I just I can't understand that reasoning. You know what I mean? I I just can't. Uh, in a sense, yeah, and, and you know, it's it's truly a saddening thing. Like, what am I supposed to say at that point where they're like saying, well, if everyone else does it, therefore I can do it? Because then you can you can use that same reasoning to justify a lot of things and excuse yourself. And like, you know, 
it's just sad because when you see these interviews of these people past the point, it doesn't even seem like they have any remorse. It's just like, you know what, I did what I had to do type deal. And there's a difference from a person who says, I did what I had to do to survive, and I feel so bad about it, I apologize, I'm begging forgiveness. And there's th- that person, there's an incredible difference than a person who says, I did what I had yeah. to do, full stop. Big difference, yeah, yeah, I agree. And so, yeah, and I, I mean, hopefully in the future, you know, they'll be able to look back, and this individual, he was a young person, he was 18 at the time, hopefully he'll be able to look back and really, you know, as he gets becomes an adult and he starts to see the world a bit more and, you know, understand all these things, he'll be able to look back and change himself. How can we help people to see beyond their own specific and egoistic needs to see, like, to, to have you ever had this um, kind of mindset that I'm part of the team and it's about everybody, it's not, it's not about me? Because we, you're talking about this kind of mindset when you st- we started the conversation, and now we, we're getting to those people that are kind of, it's about me, it's about my money and my needs, right? Yeah. Like a big, big difference. And how do we help people see from, from ad- in the other perspective? I truly believe it's our society as a whole that's developed these people. These people who like, they must have saw something when they were younger or something, where they think, okay, it's everyone for themselves. And I only have to defend myself. In a sense, it's a defensive nature. They they want to defend themselves. And it's bad. Um, how do we change this mindset? Because it's, it does have to be, it usually is rooted in something else. Uh, some sort of pain they've suffered or something along mm. those lines. It's bad. Um, you could try to change them fundamentally. Um, I don't know if it will work. It, it's really hard at that times. And I think you need someone who's very special to do that, to be able to change them fundamentally. I'm not, maybe not the person to do that. Um, in the end, you need to really change something about that person. And I don't know how we do that on a large scale. Yeah. It's about solidarity in the end. Like even, for example, I'm, I'm in solidarity with the folks who are indigenous protests, you know, protests like right now in Vancouver and British Columbia, uh, there's a fairy, t- uh, fairy creek sort of you know protest and you know blockade and stuff. I'm in solidarity with them, not because I am indigenous, but because I can see their struggle and I understand what it means to them and why they do it, and in a sense relate back to the same struggles I experienced as a you know I saw my people Bangladeshi people having to go for separation and you know and like forty years so much violence and stuff like that right. So it's not the same thing, but it's you know similar enough that I can stand in solidarity with them. Um, and you know, just because I truly care about these strangers, I'll never meet in my life, you know, um, that I care about them. I hope that they will have a better future and, you know, that even though it doesn't benefit me or anything, they'll never know who I am, that they live a happy life just for that. That's the way I think in the end, there doesn't need to be a benefit. There doesn't need to be anything else. I, but I, I, I already feel the benefit from right. what you said. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, because it's um it's empowering and and heartwarming that somebody in the other side of the world or even you know a few hours from you but they doesn't know you and they still care about you and if right. people know that it gives them more power to continue instructing them mm-hmm. to to keep doing what they believe in and fight on the old growth forest or you know against yeah. pipeline and all those fightings that are happening right now 
it's violent fighting and it's very tough fighting and it's many months fighting and when they hear someone that doesn't know them and they say I feel you and, and I support you uh, emotionally and, and maybe financially or whatever you know even talking about That's that first. and sharing the posts it's it's very empowering so I think it's big it's not something small you're, you're correct and you know when Bangladesh this small country in the middle of nowhere was you know seeking separation and you know, the idea there was this sort of wide scale movement to support Bangladesh in that time and it does empower people empower you you these people you'll never meet in your life who are financially supporting you emotionally supporting you it does mean a lot and you know you see that you see that as a repercussion and I I mean like right now as we're talking people in the old go forest they're fighting with probably the RCMP and you know yeah. it is something we have to stand solidarity with yeah yeah I'm, I'm sorry Jeff it reminded me the um... You know, we, in Israel, there was a, a forest fire, a very big one. And mm-hmm. many countries send us uh, airplanes with water to, to stop the right. fire. And it feels like, wow, we're mm-hmm. not alone in the world. <laughs> you know, exactly. Like... That, the, that the fact that people who are so different in any, all these ways still can really work together and help each other on one issue with no benefit to themselves. Yeah. And really maybe they don't support Israel uh, politics and what Israel does. And still, you know, regardless. regardless. My, me, my view is regardless of all of that, that's all just noise. It's people who need help. We have to help them. That's everything around it. It's important. But in that specific case, it's just noise. I'm sure if I were to go word for word with uh, the indigenous uh, fighters, maybe I wouldn't agree with them everything, right? But it's the fact that it's their land. It's the fact that they need to fight for that. That I can uh, separate my own personal stuff and support them in that way. Yeah. I wanted right. to ask you in the pipeline when do you know about um what are they fighting because it's their land or because they're afraid of the spills of of the and what spills and how much damage it is it causing right so um the most fame the one that ever comes to everyone's mind is what the sowing um the protest um It's complicated. Um, there's a lot of different voices, you know, even in their, in, their, in their community, not everyone agrees with us and all this type of stuff, right? Um, people say in their community, some, some of the leaders will say, oh, but it'll bring us jobs. Some of the leaders say, but this is uh, encroaching on our land. It's destructive to the environment. And it, it's, it's also Westerners trying to impede onto our land, the small amount of land we have left. It's such a complicated issue. And honestly, I will have to say that I'm not an expert and... Before I can comment, I would have to do more research. Personally, I, I support, of course, the people fighting against the pipelines um, because I, they, because I believe they are truly fighting for the right reasons. Uh, but I can't say that the people who want the pipeline there aren't, are also bad because if it does bring jobs to the community, what can I say, right? How, who, wh- what right do I have to comment basically? Yeah. So I, so I am I, I'll support them and let the people, the leaders of those communities, Really voice their uh, support for so that. So you, you, you're showing an example of, uh, of, of contradicting views, living inside of you and supporting both sides, which is really beautiful. Right. I mean, I don't support uh, the people pro-pipeline, of course, in the end. I don't. But I understand why they would. And, I, I, and it's not my place to comment on this complicated society who has all these issues, you know? Um... that aren't with poverty and stuff. And so I've spoken, so here, uh, pr- I've personally spoken to one of these people before. Indigenous? Um, 
mm-hmm. yeah, indigenous, yes. And uh, and though I heavily disagree with them, the you know their community needs jobs and stuff like that. So here's what I think should happen. And this is of course an external view. The government should cancel the pipeline, but still support those communities because historic, like right now, COVID nineteen, we're not just delivering fresh water to them. For example, right after we take in their land. The water that we drink as fresh water is their water. We take it. And that's because of COVID-19, we're no longer delivering fresh water to them. See, the the government does not support these groups. So even though I disagree with the pipeline and I disagree with individuals who support the pipeline, it's not that I'm completely cold and I don't understand why they would want it. Because they're basically, the government doesn't support their communities at all. Yeah, that's so sad. You know, it's a very complicated issue. It's very... And just having that ability to have that nuance is very important. I understand their view and I understand why they would want it. And I still disagree with them. And I would hope my solution is different. Of course, it's not my place to propose You understand why they yes. want the pipeline? Yeah, I why understand some why of them they want, want the, the pipeline. pipeline. Yes, exactly. And I would understand that. And I still, of course, am anti-pipeline in the end. I want the pipeline to be cancelled. I, I, I align myself with the other indigenous leaders... Who are saying that this is encroaching on their land? It's destructive to the environment. It's all that. In the I, pipeline, I, I, there is gas or again. oil. I would assume natural gas. I wouldn't. Don't. I don't know specifically. It's probably natural. And what's gas, the destruction? Though. What 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 damage does it do to the land? Okay, is it natural gas or oil? Uh, so specific. Okay, regardless of what it is, when those pipelines burst, and it's a very common thing for these pipelines to burst, it just entire area around it gone uh, basically all that oil gets in it's toxic to the environment the oil will seep through the soil enter their water streams so water it's oil. reservoirs um, so it's have to be oil. Yeah, it's oil something along. if it's gas then it's just a flammable gas that's now existing in their entire area someone lights a cigarette entire area sc- scorches mm-hmm. on fire right. and you might not know the pipeline might burst and no one knows yet someone goes walks by there smokes a cigarette entire is it place underground is or it's the pipe itself outside of ground It can be both, uh, depending on the sort of like the geological and the... Um, uh, that's more of a geological engineering question. Uh, it, it depends, uh, usually. Is there a, like engineering working on making those pipelines uh, le- less, uh, yes. less prone to spill and burst? Yeah, actually, there are. There are people even in my faculty that work on that material, probably. Uh, I wouldn't... Don't quote me. I don't know. But I, I would assume so. Um, Yeah, it doesn't excuse the fact that the product in the end is so dangerous that even if it doesn't explode and it goes perfectly fine, just using natural gas or oil is bad enough. So for wrapping up, do you have something you want to ask people that listening, people that are kind of in between on the fence, something that you want to ask? Sure. So uh, to conclude, you know, honestly, guys, uh, to those listening in, you might not know a lot about divestment. I don't blame you. There's far less education that I would like to see in sort of the environmental movement across the board that, you know, these things are complicated. You know, um, we're taught that, okay, like plastic straws are bad, paper straws are good, metal, metallic straws are bad, great. And then you, you, th- th- that type of small change. And then there's all these other small changes. And it gets confusing. I understand that. The best thing you can do is just sit down and talk to your local climate group. There's climate groups all over Toronto, Canada. Literally search up uh, climate group, the location where you live, and you'll probably find something. And just talk to them. Understand what they have to say. It could be anyone from a high school student to a, a leader to anyone that are supporting these organizations, but I'm sure they'll be willing to talk to you. 
and open with open heart understand what they're saying if you're a university student join your divestment movement at your university we're always needing help we always need support especially in critical areas where there's um real change that can be made like mcmaster connected to the steel industry university of alberta connected to the oil industry there could be real changes made there when you work at those sort of direct action groups you personally will be a you, you you personally won't make the biggest changes in the world and i understand that but you're part of a massive group working all together pushing for what's right and you know you, your name might never get out there you might not see so much benefit from it it's a lot of work but you at least know that you did the right thing you really did fight for the right things and that's that's enough really it is because when, when you end your university career you go on to your industry work or you go on to academia or you go on with your life. At least you knew that you got, first of all, that training. Second of all, that you weren't just complacent. Where you could see there was changes being made, you were part of that change. Um, and about two years from now, no one's going to know. Like I just be, I'm involved with divestment, so some people know me. But two years from now, three years from now, no one's going to know who I am. Because I'm going to go on, move on with my life, do my career, try to make changes in other ways. And that's fine. Accepting that is fine. Working hard for the right things is all that matters.